0: Welcome to the Phoenix cast. I am your host, M. Alves, and joining me today is Gabby Montoya, who has been on the podcast before. Hello, Gabby, and welcome back. Hello, and thank you for having me back. Absolutely. So Gabby, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself again for folks who may have not heard the previous episode that you're on. As always, we like to ask folks to introduce themselves because people are their own best experts.
1: Yeah. My name is Gabby and I'm a senior in college this year. Woo. Yay. These next two semesters are going to be my last one. So I graduate spring of next year. I'm so excited. I have my own podcast, Actively Autistic. It's been silent for a while just trying to well 2020 everybody experienced 2020 so I don't think that needs much more of an explanation than that it's just like oh that was the thing <laughs> yeah I don't remember anything
0: else no worries and um tell me what you're studying and what you do on campus
1: yeah I'm a psychology major and I work at CII the Center for Identity and Inclusion as the website designer. And then I believe this semester, I will also be doing some tutoring.
0: Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for reintroducing yourself and definitely hear you on 2020. Mm. I think a lot of things are on hiatus right now, given the state of the world. So really excited to have you on. And today we're going to be talking about healthy relationships. So this is a continuation of our healthy relationship series. I know it's been a minute listeners. So if you haven't heard any of our other healthy relationships episodes, please go back and find the, the first one. So I'm really excited about this because if you've listened to Gabby's other episode that she's been on, or if you've listened to her podcast, then you know that Gabby is autistic. And something that people really misunderstand is autistic dating. Would you agree? 100%, yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on. Gabby is going to be talking about her relationship today. And so why don't you give us a bit of an intro about um, how long have you been in a relationship?
1: So we've been together... My boyfriend Nathaniel and I have been together for a year and 9 months and we've known
0: each other for seven going on eight years. Mm, okay. So really it was more of a friendship that blossomed into a relationship. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about about each other. Like how how did your relationship start and and what drew you to each other?
1: I remember this is like my favorite story to tell of all time, just because of how like we kind of met. And it's nothing like absolutely romantic or anything like that. I was in 11th grade and I was trying to figure out a way to make friends because one of the first people that I met at my high school in 10th grade, she took me under her wing and like... You know, she's like you got to start making your own friends. And I was mm-hmm. like, I have friends. She's like no, those are my friends. You know, cuz she's like I introduced you guys. You got to try and like introduce yourself to other people and get your own friends. Okay. I was like, <laughs> okay. I don't know about that. We'll see. Um, but we met in biology class cuz the school that we went to was not a traditional high school. It was a secondary school. I absolutely love that school, Jefferson County Open School for anybody that needs an alternative way of like schooling or at least, I mean, everybody that listens to this is in college, but like anybody who knows anybody who needs that, um, JCOS really, really helped me. Like they don't have grades, you know, you do your own evaluation, you write your own transcript. The class sizes are so small that the teachers can really get to know you and talk to you and help you with anything you honestly really need. And so we were in biology class and I was sitting in the back, but the tables were set up kind of like a U. So I was in the bottom part of the U section so I could see the projector head on. And Nathaniel was two seats to my left. And I looked at him and I was like, He's got a black trophy on and he's dressed in a long sleeve black uh, shirt with like black pants and black boots. And um, I'm like, oh, he he looks like someone I want to try to be friends with because like, I don't know if it was like a vibe or what exactly it was, but I was like, he looks like someone I want to try to be friends with. And we actually got paired in a group for the science class and... I ran into him later on in the hall, like later on in the week or the next week. And I'm like, hey, are you ready to do like this project? And he's like, oh, I dropped that class. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I uh-huh. was like, we weren't even there for a week. I was like, all right then. So I guess I, I'm i not going to get to know this kid. And I met his twin in another class that I was in. And I kind of had like the same vibe. Like I want to try and get to know this person, but not as strong as it was with Nathaniel. And so then there's... There are six passages that you have to do when you're in the high school area, which is 10th through 12th grade. It's known as the walkabout. And I was working on my practical skills passage, which I did on cooking. And I was going to make fry bread that day. And the thing about me is I can't cook in the kitchen unless I have someone there with me. Oh, okay. Like, I don't need you to help me. You can just stand in there and talk with me because then I get really nervous and my brain like jumps all over the place. It's like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. Oh, I need to watch that. You know, there's a whole bunch. It's like a mess. So if someone's in there with me, I can talk to them and focus a bit better. So I ran into him on the hallway and I was like, hey, are you doing anything today? Because Wednesdays were um, our half days. So those who had passages or those who had work after school could go and do that. And he was like, no. And I was like, cool. You want to come cook with me? And he's like, okay, sure. And so we went into the kitchen and we started making fry bread and the way my grandma used to make the fry bread, it would always turn out this beautiful, crispy looking brown, like golden brown and everything. And it was fluffy and delicious. Our fry bread wasn't turning golden Mm -hmm. like it should have been. So we decided to leave it in the oil a little longer we made crackers essentially. Oh, okay. I was worried there was going to be a fire. (laughs) No, we did get popped with oil, but no, we just, we essentially made burnt fry bread and crackers. That was it. And I was like, all right, then. Well, that didn't work out very well. But like, I remember another key moment for me was we had scraps of fry bread dough left. I was like, man, I wish we could make this into a heart. And he's like, you can He just grabbed the spatula and like made it into a heart and it was like a triangle heart. And we cooked that and that one actually turned out fairly decently but we still kind of like overcooked it a little bit. (laughs) But ever since that day it was just kind of like
0: I have a friend. I need a friend. It was a really right fun time. So the first friend that you felt like you initiated making friends with besides for your friend who took you under her wing, ended up morphing into a romantic relationship. Yeah. Wow. So tell me a little bit more, like how did you make that jump from... We're friends to now we're dating. And something you shared on the podcast last time was that you had a later in life diagnosis with autism. So I wanted to kind of hear about like what was the timeline for knowing that you're autistic and now you're in a romantic relationship with someone you've been really good friends with.
1: Yeah, uh, let's see. So I got my diagnosis in April of 2019. And I believe we were dating at that point. And like, I already kind of knew it, especially because I did research because I was in a college course at JCOS for psychology. I just never got the credit.
0: And now it's your major.
1: Yay. But <laughs> anyway, I did it for a paper. And then I found a quiz that I could take or like an exam or whatever. And then it gave me a score and Mm it's like, oh, you're autistic. And then I took that same exam from a psychiatrist that gave me that same paper. And I got the exact same score years later. So I went from being a 16-year-old girl, seeing something that I actually related to and didn't even know existed.
0: Oh, previous to that, you didn't know autism was -mm. a thing.
1: I didn't know it was a thing. I just thought I was introverted. I I just thought it was an extreme version of introversion. And then I learned about autism. That was back in 2013. So they even changed it from Asperger's at that point to autism spectrum disorder. And then I went and I got a formal test procedure done in January of that year. And then I got my results in April of that year, which was 2019. And honestly, I'm still learning a lot of stuff about it, like trying to figure out what kind of accommodations I need and what accommodations don't work for me, how I communicate. And like, also, I've been trying to tear down this mask that I have that I created ever since I was a kid because I got bullied all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'd
0: already been dating for like not even a month at that point. So then, so if I'm following the timeline correctly, you had sort of self-diagnosed at that point and we're still waiting for the process of the official diagnosis.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So like, how did you approach being in a relationship? You know, like something that we talked about is that there is this myth that autistic folks aren't interested in relationships or that they don't know how to get into one or that it's uncommon. And You, obviously, as an autistic person in a relationship, know that that's not true. So so how did you approach the constantly scary topic of like, hey, I like someone and I want to find out that they like me too?
1: Well, actually, in 2017, I don't know. I just, I liked, I liked him. Which, you know, I read an old diary entry from around that time when we first met and I did not think he was cute at all. But personality grows. On a person. And uh, that's the thing about us. Is that we're more personality oriented. And if we like the personality of someone. Then they start to kind of become. A little bit more attractive physically as well.
0: So so almost like demisexuality.
1: I guess. I don't know. I've actually never heard of that. Believe it or not. I'm still learning about. A whole bunch of like different kind of things. I don't know. I yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, this might be helpful. Um, demisexuality is essentially like y- you don't really care what a person looks like. It's it's truly like the attractiveness is their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, Some people are, like, very Demi, and some people are, like, they, they identify as, like, being on a Demi spectrum.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, because we we both prefer personalities, and that's also how we make friends, is personality-wise. And if we like that personality, then we just kind of, like, have those relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my senior year, I had a friend who asked him if he had liked me, and he said yes. And so I finally knew that he liked me just as much as I liked him. And then in 2016, I got up the nerve. I told him, hey, I like you. Do you want to try going on a date? And he was like, no, not yet. And I was like, okay. And then I tried a second time and he was like, no, not yet. Because he wasn't ready.
0: So you were more emotionally ready for a relationship than he was.
1: Yeah. He also would have been my first relationship. Okay, And then... I dated two other guys after that, I guess. Not at the same time. Different times. No, no, but- <laughs> judgment.
0: no judgment if it was at the same time. As long as everyone knew, <laughs> then that's A-okay.
1: <laughs> and so that was interesting. The guys were the ones that initiated that. The two people that I did date. And then when I found out he was actually going to ask me out, Nathaniel was going to ask me out, but then I had already started dating someone. I was like, you were going to ask me? And I was like really happy and really sad all at the same time. And I was a little worried that I had missed my chance to date Nathaniel because I had a crush on him for three solid straight years. And I didn't think anyone else was attractive. I wasn't attracted to anybody else. It was just Nathaniel. And then I started dating someone and then it's like, well, shit. (laughs) And so when that relationship ended... I waited for a few months and then I was like, so you're going to ask me out, right? He's like, yeah. And I was like, you still want to try that? And he's like, yeah. I, yeah." And I was like, cool. I was like, you should ask me out then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it sounds like this is the first relationship that like you, you really sought out, right? Like you, you knew there was something about Nathaniel that you really liked and that you wanted to be in a relationship with. And you, you put yourself out there first, which is pretty damn hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. And so when you started the relationship, can you tell me, like, did he already know that you were autistic? And was it something that you had talked about? And like, you know, with sometimes with things like overstimulation, did you make plans about how to deal with that? No. Okay.
1: Because even, well, I mean, I think we talked about like, how I suspected. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, okay. But he also knew that I had trauma from past relationships. From those first two relationships that I had, there was a lot of trauma from that. Because mm-hmm. they were not healthy at, at all in the slightest. But I was like, look, like the first thing I said off the bat, because both relationships didn't have this, was communication. Right. And so I was like, look, I really, we really need communication in this relationship because it's extremely important. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. -hmm. And so we just knew that communication was like the, that strong foundation that we needed. And then we just kind of started to figure things out from there.
0: Awesome. So you, you really like early on defined what's, what's important in your relationship for you and, and what you value the most and, and made sure that you were on the same page. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. And I think that's so important as well. So for listeners who may not know, I've mentioned it a few times. My partner has given me full permission to talk about it. My partner is also autistic and something that a lot of people really don't understand, I think, about autism and being in relationships around autism is that if you have good communication, chances are like your relationship will be fine. Right. But we have this idea of like autistic people as being incapable of communication, which is really false, right? It might just look a little different than um, how a neurotypical person would communicate, but it doesn't mean that they're incapable. Would you agree?
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with that 100%. And like, sometimes it can take us a while to figure out like exactly how we're feeling and what we're thinking. Like, even if we know exactly what we're thinking in our heads, we can't communicate that verbally just yet right so like it'll take us a few days to honestly say what's been on our minds and how we feel and so like even if you say a conversation is over we'll still be thinking about it a little bit and then it'll be like okay but hey, I just wanted to clarify on this because you know xyz and then that way we'd be able to get our full thought process out Even if it does take a while. So one of my boyfriends that I was Mm -hmm. dating at the time uh, before Nathaniel, he was also autistic or is because he's still alive. But (laughs) he would communicate how he felt through songs. Okay. Okay. So he would send songs or like memes or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was always like, even when we were friends, I would always look at like what he was sharing. So that way I could see how he was feeling. So that was helpful to an extent. (laughs)
0: Right. I can also see, like, some limitations there. It sounds like your relationship with Nathaniel is a lot more direct, yeah. right? Like, so that rather than, like, you figure out your feelings, right? And it, that might take a while, but y- you're gonna say it to him in a more direct way.
1: Uh-huh. We are basically 100% honest with each other and blunt. Mm-hmm. Or at least, I don't know if I'm more blunt than he is, but I I, I value bluntness and honesty because... People like to sugarcoat things, and I know sugarcoating things isn't, I don't think it's technically lying, but it can be seen as lying because you're trying to make it look better than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just tell me the truth, because if you sugarcoat it, then I guess I could use the word hope. Then you you give someone a little bit more hope than there actually is, right. and that can actually be a little bit more damaging right. than helpful. So... I just prefer the bluntness. Like, just give it to me straightforward. Right. Uh, sure, I'll be, be I'll be a little bit mad or upset or even hurt in the moment. But, you know, if you sugarcoat something, right. you're not actually getting to what you're actually trying to communicate right. because you're sugarcoating it. And that can cause problems later on because if you still have a problem with that thing that you sugarcoated earlier on, then you don't actually get those things resolved. Right.
0: Right. It's really hard to to kind of go and undo that, like, well, your previous feedback has been that this is fine. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly it's not fine.
1: Exactly. And then it's like, right. so which one is it?
0: Right. And unless something has changed, then it d- That that's really confusing.
1: Yep. Autistic people, or at least I as an autistic person take things very, very literal.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of the the bigger characteristics I, I've seen most autistic people share.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it took me a really long time to figure out like a lot of different sayings that people use, and then my brain will interpret it as an actual thing. And then I'll think about it and go, wait, that doesn't make sense. So I think... My favorite comparison for that was like, have you ever seen the commercial where the dad called and said, Hey, tell your mom that I'm tied up at the office. And then the kid has a little thought bubble and it shows his dad tied up in his chair in the office. Oh no. So that's, that's part of the cognitive delay, developmental delay. Right. And so like, I've noticed that with myself, I was 17 or 18 So on the back of buses, it says, yield when flashing, it's Mm -hmm. the law. I laugh at myself for this because I was 18 when I finally figured out what it meant. The law isn't actually there. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's the law that you're supposed to like yield behind the bus and stay there while those lights are flashing, uh, while that yield sign is flashing. But it took me so many years and I was like, oh, that's what that means. (laughs) So in a relationship, Mm -hmm. honestly, it's more entertaining than anything else. Because it's like,
0: wait, do you mean that literally or not literally? Because he's also extremely sarcastic. Right. Okay. And so that's probably has led to some uh, funny mix-ups. Yes,
1: many. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm trying to also be sarcastic, but I, Mm -hmm. because I can't control the tone of my voice and the way my voice sounds, I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, just so you know, that was sarcasm. (laughs) Because I don't want it to sound serious when it's just sarcastic. Right.
0: So basically, like the sarcasm tag on the internet, but r- real life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like that was sarcastic, by the way. Absolutely. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Kind of being able to like check in and clarify with each other, then. Uh huh. Yeah. And and so tell me more about like how do you how do you two express how you feel about each other? Right. So for listeners who may not know, there are five different love languages. And everyone tends to have like a a pretty specific love language that falls under these uh, five categories. And we'll list all of like the resources regarding love languages in the description. There's a website where you can take a quiz and kind of figure out what your love language is. Something that we talk about in in healthy relationship uh, work sometimes is that like sometimes you're in a healthy relationship and you two don't have the same love languages. And so how do you balance that. So what are your love languages and how do you balance them?
1: My main love language is quality time. And then I would say Mm -hmm. secondary love language of mine is uh, physical touch. Mm -hmm. And then Nathaniel's love language is physical touch. And I don't know what his secondary would be, but yeah, he even shrugs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it can be hard to name for yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I like to spend time. I like the idea of like cuddling on the couch and watching a movie together or cuddling in bed and watching a movie or playing a game like a board game together because you're Mm -hmm. still kind of like having that face-to-face interaction.
0: Oh, those are fun.
1: That's quality time, I guess, to me. And then for Nathaniel with his physical touch, that's like holding hands or like Mm -hmm. quick cuddles or whatever. And then he's good. So like it used to be a challenge in the past because for him, quality time is also he's on his computer playing games and I'm doing mm-hmm. something else, but we're both in the same room.
0: That's really similar to, to my partner and I. My partner's special interest is um, is games, specifically Magic the Gathering and anything that's strategy based. And I love him deeply. I do not have the brain space to play <laughs> Magic the Gathering. I don't think I will. <laughs> But he'll be playing a session with friends on the computer. But like, I'm watching a trashy television show Mm -hmm. and we're in the same room and he'll make side comments that are like snarky about like whatever trashy television show I'm watching. And it's a really nice time to spend time together. But I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily view it as quality time, even though for us, it 100% works and makes sense. Yeah.
1: So like, yeah, because he sees that as quality time. And for me, that was like, well, that doesn't really feel like quality time to me. So we talked about it and we worked it out. And then I understood where he was coming from and he understands where I'm
0: coming from. But... And it sounds like you both make space to like hear about each other's interests, right? Like sometimes you're like, ooh, this is the worst time you could be talking about this. But you still do want to hear about like what makes him excited and he wants to hear about what makes you excited. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, being a kid who grew up being bullied and then also having uh, the two people that raised you be busy all the time when you would try to talk about things that interested you and they'd go, "Uh uh-huh, cool. Or no one would listen or there wasn't somebody else you could tell. That was always really hurtful to me. And so I don't share a lot of what interests me anymore. Like I stopped that at a very young age. Mm. So would you say that
0: that was you masking?
1: Yeah, especially if like something childish. And I put that in quotation marks because people seem to think that when you grow up, you can't enjoy really simple things. And so something very simple, like a Scooby-Doo board game or something Mm -hmm. would get me really excited. I love Scooby-Doo. Right. And so people would go, oh, that's interesting, you know, oh, that's cool, okay, cool, uh, but I would just, like, an autistic thing is, like, I think that it's called happy hands, mm-hmm. or happy flapping, um, when your hands go like this, right. I know you can't see, because I have the thing on, <laughs> and that's you being really, really excited, and that's an autistic thing, like, you're just so happy, you know, right, um, but as a, but when you grow up, you can't show that excitement anymore, you can't be excited about those things anymore. And I don't understand why, like, why not? You shouldn't grow up and become bitter and not have much of an interest in things. You should still be able to express yourself. But I started masking that around third and fourth grade, probably sooner because no one would really pay attention. And so that's just the biggest thing. So no matter who it is, I will always listen to what you have to tell me that you find interesting because I don't ever want to be that person that goes, cool, you know, and doesn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. Cause that's just really hurtful. So like when I do that with Nathaniel and the designs, he's like, when I'm like watching my show and he's like, oh, yeah, oh, cool. I'll go, I'll pause it. And then I'll actually look. Cause I just, um, I just can't. I Yeah.
0: You know how it feels, right? It's something I think a lot of autistic people deal with, right? It's that you want to tell someone something that you're so excited about and then they're dismissive and no one wants to be dismissed it's it's it is it's something that really hurts your feelings
1: yeah and it like crushes dreams and like people how people feel and then they'll do that in the future to Mm -hmm. their children or whatever so it's like trying to break that cycle right
0: and then it also like you know, what I'm hearing is that, like, you are happy to be in a relationship where you don't have to hide that side of yourself as well. We're both children. Right. <laughs> and so that must be, like, really liberating after, like, having spent so long having to hide that part of yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Yeah,
1: it is. Because we'll, uh well, we have tickle fights. <laughs> but he doesn't like to be tickled. So if I tickle him too much, he will bite me. But I pull his hair. So it's like... <laughs> You know, it, it's just roughhousing. We don't actually mean to hurt each other, but if it happens, it happens. Like the other day he bit me. Right. And I had a bruise right. in the shape of a bite mark for like two weeks because he bit me. But oh like... <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how we operate. You know, we're just very silly and very playful. And if we do actually hurt each other... Right. We get really... It's
0: not malicious, and we both understand that it's not...
1: Yeah, it's not malicious, and we both understand that it's not, and we also really extremely apologize.
0: Right, so you, you two have, like, set of boundaries around this, right? Like, I'm assuming that, you know, this isn't something that's happening on slippery slippery floors where people could get really hurt, um, and those kinds of things, and kind of understanding each other's, like, stop signals. Yeah, yeah.
1: And we also have a, like, if we want each other to stop, do we use the safe word when we want each other to stop? Or how do we? Oh, oh okay. We you have a safe
0: word. Was, like,
1: needed to. Yeah. We've never needed to. We
0: don't really push. Okay. But you have one. Before.
1: Yeah. And then when he bites me, I know that I'm starting right. to push his boundaries. So then I stop. Fair. But like that, apparently the biting thing is something that he and his siblings also do. Like his sister would bite him when they would play and so now he bites me uh, and yeah it's a whole thing
0: so I also wanted to ask earlier we talked a little bit about you mentioned like how often autos- uh, autistic people um won't know necessarily how they're feeling right away and so I wanted to ask like to just clarify and to gain a little bit further understanding of how this works in your relationship how, how does that work around conflict right like you know I think that when people think about relationships, especially as they're portrayed in media, people seem to think that like, there's never any disagreements, there's never arguments and and that's not true, right? But the marker of a healthy relationship is being able to resolve conflict well. So how do we resolve conflict well?
1: Like I said, so it takes us a while to figure out exactly how we want to say it and what we want to say. But when we do say it, then we kind of like, have mm-hmm. a discussion about it which is really healthy because in my previous relationships there was never a discussion right.
0: so it was more like someone laying down the law rather than like here's my boundary
1: yeah or ending up right. in a yelling match or whatever um and so like with us it's like okay that makes sense and then we talk about it and then sometimes it's a, mostly always me, but like a few days later, I'll be like, okay, so for clarification, this is what we're doing, right? Or this is what we concluded. And then he'd be like, yes. And then we would talk about it even a little bit more. Like this is our healthy arguments because I've seen toxic arguments. I've seen... I've heard yelling, I've I've had doors slammed, you know, there's stomping, people leaving. There's a whole bunch that I've seen throughout
0: my life. Absolutely. And just for listeners to to know that like a lot of what Gabby just listed, like those are often physical intimidation tactics. So that's that's something that's really important to know is that like in a healthy relationship, there shouldn't be any of those physical intimidation happening within conflict.
1: Yeah, that's actually why I separated myself from my family, because that's how my family operates. And it's just like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm good. Right. Um, So if you have conflict with each other or like if you get that flash of anger, you know, just takes a few minutes to actually calm down in a healthy relationship and actually talk about it from what I've seen, because there's you don't really get anywhere with like yelling and stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely agree with
0: that. And as another way to really highlight like how individual autism can be like, so Gabby, as a person, you need like, it sounds like generally less than 10 minutes to, to calm down and to kind of deescalate yourself mm-hmm. when you're feeling like a lot of intense emotions. Whereas for my husband, mm-hmm. sometimes he needs like an hour, right? And And then I'm, I am the person who has to like really hold myself back and say like, he's still processing how he's feeling about what we've talked about or what we're arguing over. And I need to go do something else because me just sitting here and stewing isn't helping. And it's probably actually making him more anxious.
1: Yeah. We've also actually had that. Cause like, I think one time, one time he was like, I need space. And then I was like, okay. And then I'd give him like a few minutes and then I'd try and go because it made me anxious because I'm like, how mad is he, you know? Right, and that's where my brain... Um, and then having that past trauma yeah. was like made it even worse. So I'm still trying to teach myself to like not chase after him when he needs a space. But he does that really well with me. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll go, I need my space. And then I'll just leave. And then he won't come after me or anything. And then I'll just like, right. like I said, about five, 10 minutes, I'll go back and go, okay,
0: let's talk about this, you know? And I think it's really important that you mention that, like, that's a trauma response, right? Like, I think that, so I definitely relate to that, you know, in my life, I've been in a lot of chaotic environments. And so I also struggle with, like, not immediately trying to figure out exactly what has gone wrong, please, why are you mad? Oh, my God, kind of thing, right? And it's something that that everyone can experience and that many of our listeners are going to be able to relate to, right? Of feeling weird, maybe, about how, like, they have this impulse to to, quote, unquote, like, chase after someone or kind of like go, like respond to them immediately when often it's like, that's what you probably had to do in a time of trauma. And so that is going to be your automatic response often. Mm -hmm. And it can be a really long time to, it can take a while to kind of work yourself out of that. And it requires a lot of support and a lot of trust.
1: Yeah. And we both hate conflict too. So I think that also helps with us like discussing things is because, (laughs) yeah, we just don't like the idea of conflict. And discussing things is definitely a lot nicer than anything else I've ever seen. Absolutely. Or even been a part
0: of. So we've we've talked a little bit about kind of how you, you two like to joke and tease each other and kind of what boundaries you've set up for what's acceptable. I kind of want to hear a little bit about how you interact with like the social scripts of what relationships are supposed to look like, right? Because I think that Something that is really interesting, I guess. I, I'm not sure if that's quite the right word, but something that I, I've definitely observed is that like whatever the media portrayal is of healthy relationships, it's, it's typically really bad. It's not healthy. It's actually usually very toxic relationships. But like everyone in the United States is operating off of those scripts right and so like I want to hear like how are you operating under those scripts or are you kind of saying screw the scripts it doesn't make sense because that's kind of where I've fallen
1: we basically just said screw it (laughs) right because how do I say this uh okay growing up I always heard about you know like especially back in the 50s and 60s the man had the job went to work The mother stayed home, took care of the kids, took care of the house. And growing up, that used to, like, drive me nuts. And my grandma kind of, like, we would always talk about that. And so when Nathaniel and I started dating, I was like, hey, (laughs) screw it. You know, we both do dishes. We both cook. We both clean. You know, he's still looking for a job while I work. You know, and (laughs) we'll joke and he'll go, I'm I'm wearing the pants in this relationship. And I'm like, right now you currently are because I'm wearing shorts, <laughs> you know, or like whatever we decide to like, but we'll just joke about it because who says you have to do that, you know? And, and the, of course there's the mask of masculinity, which is where guys can't feel anything, feel no emotion or can't at least show it, which is why guys I think are so angry all the time anyway. Or at least that's what my sociology teacher said. But, um... <laughs> You know, if he needs, if he needs to cry or if he needs to like tell me about something or whatever it is, you know, he's free to feel it. um, And he knows that. So we just kind of, we don't go by society's, what your relationship is supposed Mm -hmm. to look like. I had friends and even my mom and sister asked me with my very first relationship, oh, is he doing this? Is he doing that? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? And it's like, no, why does that mean something's wrong? And so, you know, that caused a big conflict with my first relationship. So I tried that with my second relationship and it was a little bit better. But with Nathaniel, it's even easier. Mm -hmm. I think mainly it's because of the communication aspect. But yeah, no, we just, we do things together. And do you think,
0: do you think that it is easier or, or different being autistic to ignore the social norms or, like, do you kind of fight against, like, the the, the impulse to mask, right? Because, I mean, that's something that you've talked a lot about, right? Is, like, really wanting to undo the way that you've had to, to mask in the past.
1: I don't... I've known Nathaniel for so long, and we're so open with each other about a lot of things that I don't have to wear my mask with him. I just... I'm forcing myself to not do it as much in public. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of ignore those social rules of how a relationship is supposed to look because we're bad at socializing anyway, you know? (laughs) So it's like, we don't really have to pay attention to whatever else is going on. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it still makes me like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I wish you did that. But no, we just, we don't really pay attention to that. We just go by our own rules you know, because that's how we're happiest.
0: Right. And, and so how do you think this has affected your relationship? Do you think there's less pressure on it or do you just feel relaxed in it?
1: Extremely relaxed and absolutely I, no pressure, mm-hmm. honestly.
0: So something that I know that you mentioned earlier was like that sugarcoating can really be a huge issue. Do you think that like the lack of sugar coating in your relationship helps you to grow together rather than like, I'm going to say something that will make someone happy in the moment, but not in the long term, which is the message most people get when it comes to relationships.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely helps that we don't sugarcoat anything just because Mm -hmm. then we know exactly where we are with each other. And like, you know, if there if we have any issues, then we actually talk about it and actually improve on it. Like Nathaniel tells me all the time, he's like, I'm not. Mm just going to break up with you out of the blue. He's like, I'm actually going to say, hey, this is a big thing. This hasn't changed. You know, we might have to start looking at if we're actually going to end our relationship because it's not working. And then if that starts to like change in everything, then we're like, it should be okay. Or he would say, it's still not working out. And so that's really helpful but we haven't had any of those right. conversations. We have had conversations, though, like where right. it's like, hey, you know, this bothers me a little bit and here's why. But then throughout our relationship, you know, we've fixed those things. We've improved on those things. Right.
0: So, so you know, the terms of engagement, really, right? Like, I think that that makes a lot of sense to to sort of like figure out like if we're having conflict that is causing problems in our relationship in the long term, how are we going to deal with that? Right. Because like mm-hmm. in my own relationship, I employ something similarly. Right. Like, so I don't want to just wake up one day and find out that my, my relationship is over similarly. And so like, it was really important to me to say like, hey, if we got a divorce, what would that look like? And my partner was happy to answer what that looked like because he knew it was something that was important for me to know what it could look like, even if that's not exactly how it would happen Mm -hmm. in actuality. And if he wasn't okay with that, then that's a sign that we're not necessarily compatible.
1: Yeah. And we just make sure we talk about that. So, and he always, you know, Nathaniel and I have agreed that we have that kind of relationship as to where if we ever did break up, we would still be friends. We've been friends a lot longer than we've been in right, a relationship right. together. And we know how each other works. And just because we're not compatible mm-hmm. right now doesn't mean we might not be in the future. But I am happy to say that we are compatible right now. And we're good. <laughs> so
0: Awesome. I want to end today's episode with also recommending a new podcast that I have started listening to, kind of around this topic, um, and it's called Stim for Stim, and it's it's a dating podcast by and for autistic people. There are two hosts. One host is married. Um, the other host is, I think, committed to a few folks, and so identifies as polyamorous. And it's really really cool. What I really like about it is kind of what I hope that this episode illustrated is that Gabby is one autistic person in a relationship and is not going to be representative of every autistic person in a relationship, right? I compared and contrast a few moments of like things that my partner may do similarly or differently as he is also autistic. But this podcast is a really, really great example of all of the different ways that autistic folks are in relationships. And it's actually in direct response to Netflix's Love on the Spectrum, which the the podcast hosts themselves really felt treated them, treated autistic people like zoo animals. Right. It was very voyeuristic to them um, and something that they really they talked about in their trailer that I thought was really amazing um, and really kind of highlighted the problem. I Like the uneasy feeling I had watching Love on the Spectrum was that like rather than teaching autistic people how to stop talking about trains, we should be telling autistic people how to find a partner who wants to hear about trains. Right. And, and trains was the specific example that they used because of the show. Yep. That sounds about right. And anything you would add, Gabby, or anything that we didn't talk about that you would really like folks to know about dating someone on the spectrum, right? I think, well, one thing that
1: did pop into my mind is if you want to try something new, try something different with your partner, even if it is like experimenting a little bit and being polyamorous for a little while, mm. which is what we did, mm, Okay. mainly me, you know, just have a conversation about it and you see it from each other's perspective. And it's just really helpful to just kind of see how they see things and autistic or not, you know, it's, it's a lot easier that way, you know, instead of shooting down your partner's idea or whatever, you actually listen to it and then you have a conversation about that. Absolutely. And then it's like, yeah, okay, we can try that. Or I don't really feel comfortable with that. And then, yeah.
0: Right, right. So being willing to have a conversation, set boundaries, but also potentially make a few compromises. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, there's actually a really good episode on Stim for Stim about what the, and so I wouldn't use this language necessarily as someone who is an expert in violence, but they were saying, you know, there is good coercion. And by that, they meant that sometimes some, when they're dating someone who is not on the spectrum, that sometimes they need to be a little bit more pulled out of their comfort zone. And uh, as long as that isn't in a way that's stomping on boundaries completely, that that can actually be really helpful. I think that makes sense. I think that's just one example of how that can Mm -hmm. look, right? Because it's not the same for, for everyone. You know, some people don't necessarily need someone to pull them out. They just need time and space. Exactly. Which, again illustrates that if you think you know anything, if, if you're not an autistic person, if you're neurotypical and you think you know things about dating autistic people or how autistic people date, chances are you don't, or you're understanding a very narrow picture of what autistic dating looks like. And it may be influenced by a very popular Netflix show. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for joining us today. I really enjoyed our discussion. We use this healthy relationship series as a way to portray that healthy relationships come in all shapes and sizes and that there's no one size fits all for healthy relationships.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, and I, I was actually thinking about this. I'm sorry. Uh, one thing I wanted to say was you also can't follow society's rules with dating, because everybody's different. Everybody has their different quirks. Everybody has their different like b- types of boundaries. And so like by trying to follow that societal norm of how dating is supposed to look, you're kind of screwing yourself. Sorry like for that terminology, but that's essentially what's happening oh, wow. is because you're trying to fit a circle into a square. And that only works if it's pizza.
0: Right. <laughs> if you think yeah. about it, <laughs> no, I think that's such a what? It's true. Such a good example and something that we actually use in one of our presentations is like, do you know those old Play-Doh molds where you used to like shove it in and then like uh-huh. everything was Yes. Like yes, with
1: I in. do. I love yeah, that stuff. Yeah,
0: so I love that stuff too, but and it's like it's very soothing. But the thing that we use as a really good visual is that like when you're trying to fit yourself into a mold, invariably some pieces are going to get left behind. And people deserve to be their full selves in all aspects of their lives. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so like following society, you just screw it. You know, you don't have to just
0: do what makes you happy. You hear, heard it here first, folks. Screw it. <laughs> do what makes you happy. Thank you all so much. Please remember to like, subscribe, share this with someone who you think would appreciate it. um, And then keep your eyes peeled for when Gabby returns from her hiatus. I know that she'll be producing some awesome stuff. And thank you so much for listening.